on, huh? Okay, great. Um, as Pastor said, we've just come through a, a season of revival, and when I started thinking about what the Lord would have me speak about, I had a subject that was on my heart and mind or whatever, and the Lord said, no, that's not right, Cause, and I was already, you know, working on it, outline, and the Lord said, no, 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 not, that's not it. He said, uh, we're not done with revival yet. So the message he put on my heart to bring to you is in the theme of revival, and it's repentance. So um, that's, where we're, that's what we're going to speak about today. So before I get started, I open up with a word of prayer, and uh, you join me, if you will. There. The Heavenly Father, we're so glad to be here. And so glad that you've given us your word to study, to guide us, to lead us. Uh, we just ask that you open up our hearts, open up our minds, give us a, an opportunity to hear from you. Uh, and, and nothing that I might say that is uh, not pleasing to you, let you lead and guide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, repentance. Nobody likes to, you know, hear that word too much. It means, uh, you know, something that you might not want to do. You know, it's, it's a change. So let's define what repentance is. And this is something that Dr. Olette said when he was here. He said, you know, to repent. And I know you've always heard about it. It's kind of to change your mind. But to amplify on that just a little bit is to, uh, to think about um, and to consider in a, in a backward perspective, historically. And he said the word after. This is thinking after, and, and I think to translate that, you know, to maybe modern day is to say, to think about in hindsight, these are the things you did in your past. The, this is the life you led. These are the actions that you have done, and then to, to consider that in light of, of holiness. And uh, so, so it's kind of a reflection upon your past, and when repentance comes, for me, I kind of put it in this kind of thinking or whatever. It's an epiphany. It's like, boing, the lights go on. And you say, oh, you mean this is the kind of what I was doing? Because a lot of times you may not know, actually, it's even, you know, not in God's keeping for your life or whatever. But this is what I was doing. God has shown to me that this is, is not a correct way of thinking, a correct way of living or whatever and the lights go on and say oh now I get it and so from understanding what God wants it's a change of mind it is a what we've always heard it's a change of direction I was walking this way you know going down the road and God says oh no that's not right turn around repent and go back the other way so it is a change of mind that is you know a good definition of what repentance is about but it is that that instant in your mind where the lights go on and you agree and you uh, line up your heart and your thinking with God. Because I think also it's not always just mental assent. Here are the facts and you're given the facts and then okay based on facts I understand I agree with that. I think it goes beyond facts it goes to the heart and it's an issue of the heart because you need one that, when that happens, and you realize your life is not in alignment with what God would have, it humbles you. You say, oh my goodness, you know, how, 
how misguided was I? How, how maybe I've guided other people wrong? And so, man, it's, it breaks the heart. And so, the, one of the first scriptures um, that I would call our attention to, it says, and this re- regards repentance, and there, there is maybe two aspects of repentance that we should, you know, consider, uh, because I'm going to share my testimony about this particular scripture. And it says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And that's 2 Corinthians 7.10, if you wanted to write that down. So, to share testimony about that, um, when I was a very young guy, uh, I was about 16, 17 years old, as, as a young person, uh, maybe 18, somewhere around there, uh, late teens, as, as uh, a person, my family did not go to church very often, maybe two times a year, Christmas and Easter or whatever, sometimes during the summer when, you know, the parents want to do something, the summer break, kids go to vacation Bible school, so a little bit. Uh, when I was growing up, so I had very little spiritual teaching, very little spiritual edification in the home, so I basically grew up as natural as you can probably imagine, and so when I was 18 or whatever, I was dating a girl, and she went to church a lot, and so she said, you're going, this this was before Lynn, before Lynn, (laughs) And so she says, uh, you know, you need to go to church with me. And I said, okay, you know, I'll give it a shot. I was never, quote, unquote, against God. And had, I was just real, you know, okay, yes or no, I'll, I'll go, I'll listen. And so we went a couple of several times and was getting in kind of into that routine. And they had, and honestly, I don't remember if it was a revival time or not, but they had a minister up there that gave the word so powerfully, so strong or whatever, that it, it broke, oops, excuse me, sorry about that, it, it broke my heart or whatever, and so I walked out, came down, made a profession of faith, and, and so, you know, oh, I'm saved. I did, you know, all the prerequisites and did everything, and so I got, quote, unquote, saved. But actually, I didn't. And the difference in the way I know is that my, my life never changed. So I went down, I said some words, and a week later, two weeks later, all of a sudden, you know, church, uh, you know, today's a bad Sunday. It's, it's raining. It's something, you know, is going on. So I kind of stopped going. I, I never did really uh, believe that I need to get into the Word and study. Somehow, I was sorrowful in an earthly way. I was sorry that maybe I had committed some things, but it wasn't about Jesus Christ. It was about me. And so I did recognize, okay, some of my shortcomings, but it wasn't about him. So that's what I wanted to share with you guys, that even though people do walk the aisle, unless you have a change in your life, unless something goes beyond you know the daily in and out until you have fruit in your life you might have to want to question so i say to any of you if if you've had a mental ascent you've come you've said some words 
but your life hasn't produced fruit if you don't feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. If there is nothing that shows your salvation was real, then maybe you need to take a look at it. Take this book and compare yourself to this book and let it tell you where you stand. So that happened to me. And so later in life, another time, I had a different situation where Christ came into my life. He became real. He was no longer a storybook character because, you know, as growing up and everything, not having a relationship, not having people around me that was really living and, and reacting to Christ, he was a storybook guy. But later, at a particular time in my life, issues came up and he became very, very real to me. And when that happened, that, that day, I, I'll never forget it. And I said, you know, kind of get me out of this trouble and, and show me the way and I will follow you to the end. And so that changed my life. And lots of fruit changed then. You know, I, I became, when that happened, I started with this book and start front to the back, front to the back, and went through it. And it was a joy to read the Bible. I mean, it was speaking to me like crazy. And so that was a change. I knew my life changed. So when you look at your life, if, and that was, people say, you know, did you have a change? Can you point to the time when you lived like this, and you were like this, and now you're like this, and holiness is in your life, and the love of the Lord is in your life? If you can't point to that and see a clear distinction, maybe check yourself against this. So, so that's, uh, that's one of the things I want to share about my testimony. The next thing was the scripture says, the Lord is nigh unto them who are of a broken heart and save such as be of a contrite spirit. And that's the way I was. Yeah. Huh? That was Psalms 34, 18. So the Lord is nigh unto those that are a broken heart and save such as be of a contrite spirit. And, and there's numerous other places where uh, and maybe we'll come into a, a few because I got lots of scriptures that follow and that's the reason why I didn't make an outline because it would just be full of, <laughs> full of uh, scriptural references and maybe you can write them down. So the, the next thing I thought was, okay, given that we've just come through revival, um, how do all the New Testament characters relate to this topic of repentance? And so the first person you look at is John the Baptist. And it says, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's Matthew 3, 1 and 2. And over into uh, Luke it says, and he went into all the regions around Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So Luke 3, 3, Luke 3, 3. And so, as you know, and, and I know I'm not going to say anything this morning that you haven't already heard, but maybe just look at it from a different perspective. Um, you know, as you might remember, the Pharisees came to John the Baptist. Why? Because there were 500 years of, or 400 years of silence, right? They had no prophet speaking. And all of a sudden, this guy pops up out in the wilderness, 
Everybody's starting to hear. Everybody's starting to go. Who is this guy? What is he saying? So there was a spiritual excitement going on, particularly as it relates to John the Baptist. So the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out there. Who is this guy? What is he saying? He's in our spiritual background, you know, in our, our territory, so to speak. We need to find out, you know, what he's saying and, and is he right or anyway. So they went to see him. And the first thing he sees them coming, you brood of vipers, you know, who's told you, who's warned you to come to, you know, re- flee the wrath to come. And so immediately, you know, you, you get the impression, and, and rightly so, that the Pharisees, the Sadducees were having a form of religiosity, so to speak, but their hearts were not correct and aligned with, with God. So he made that warning, and so he, the last thing he said was, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, because he was preaching, the, you know, repentance, repentance. And so he said, you guys need to bear fruits that show your repentance is genuine. Apple trees give apples. Let's see some apples. And he was looking at them, no fruit. These guys are dead as they can be. So he made a warning against that. And he says, um, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And that's Matthew 3.11. And so in the very beginning of the leadership of our faith under the guide of the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist starts the ball rolling. Who comes immediately after? Jesus Christ. Of course, he comes right thereafter. And John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And... uh, and so after he baptizes him, he goes into the desert and is tempted by the devil. And so after the temptation, and he comes back out, and that's uh, when Jesus starts his ministry. And the Bible says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's that word again, repent. John the Baptist, repent, repent, repent. Jesus, first thing out of his mouth, repent. And so, again, going back to repentance, what, is, what does that mean? A change of mind, a change of heart, a change of, of reality in your life. So Jesus is saying, you know, you guys aren't, you know, fully thinking. And, of course, the people, per se, have been guided wrongly by the Sadducees and Pharisees. You go, you, you do these things, and you don't do those things, and, and you live under whatever. But Jesus is like, no, no. This is a thing of the heart. This is not a thing of the rules and regulations. They were part of it, but they weren't the important part, I guess. So the Pharisees, seeing uh, Jesus eating uh, with uh, the tax collectors and sinners, um, in their minds, it says, in the scriptures, it says in their their minds, they were whispering among themselves. It's like, this guy is eating with tax collectors. Does he know who these people are or whatever? And so Jesus, understanding what they had said um, or were thinking, let's put it that way, uh, they said, uh, he said, he turned to them and he said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what this meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. 
For I come not to call the righteous, but sinners unto repentance. There's that word again, repentance. And so he wants a change of heart. And Jesus was saying this directly to the Sadducees and Pharisees. And Jesus was quoting uh, Hosea 6.6. And if you remember, uh, Hosea was the, you know, the um, prophet that God says, go marry a prostitute. And God says, you know, it's going to be an example, uh, a reflection of Israel and their uh, prostitution, let's say, spiritual prostitution with other gods and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and so, that again, Hosea marries a prostitute as this reflection. And Jesus is pointing to the Pharisees and saying, you're like that. He's quoting this guy. And they know that, right? And so, so Jesus was trying to point out that the priests were uh, unfaithful stewards. He'd given them, you know, a mission. God had put the words of Scripture in their hand, and they twisted it. They'd done everything that they were going to do that did not represent being faithful to God. And that's what the whole message of Hosea was about. The prostitute wife, Israel, going with other gods. She's going with other, other people or whatever, and it was not uh, a holy union or whatever. And so what it says in Hosea 6, or, or the essence of it, is you say you have faithfulness, but as soon as the sun comes up, it, it puts it in a metaphor like dew on the ground, and as soon as the sun comes up, just a little bit of heat and pressure, it evaporates. Poof. You say you're faithful, but you're not. As soon as issues of life come up, you're going to go your way, and there's no faithfulness in your life. So that was one of the early on in Jesus' um, ministry. And after John the Baptist was placed into prison, um, it says, And saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And that's Mark 1 5. And again, Jesus is, is asking the people to repent. Think about their lives, reflect on what they've said and done, and does this line up? with God's plan. So, okay, and then uh, Jesus further in his life, he's beginning to teach um, that the Galilean, or actually some people came to Jesus and they presented this story, which was a, a true thing, and they were asking Jesus' interpretation, why did this happen? But um, the Galileans, while they were in a temple or in worship, um, Pilate sent a bunch of guards in, and killed them all and there was their blood was mixed with sacrifice blood in the in the temple and they're saying these, these people must have been really bad for God to allow this to happen while they were seemingly doing the right thing and so the, these people are asking Jesus wow they must have been really bad people and so then they and Jesus answered and said no that's not true they were no different than you but unless you repent, it's going to happen to you as well. And then, well, wait, wait, what about those people? 18 people in Siloam, or the Tower of Siloam fell. It was in Jerusalem and killed 18 people while they were just, you know, walking down the street, doing whatever. And, and they said, wasn't this group evil? I mean, why did this building fall on them? 
And Jesus said, no, 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 they weren't so evil. But unless you repent, you will also die, just like they did. So um, it's just a reflection that, you know, our heart is exceedingly wicked. And how do we know it? We always got to keep looking at our life against this. And that way we will learn where we're at. And so that's what Jesus was just pointing out. These people weren't exceedingly bad. No, they're just like you. Unless you repent, you're going to die also, just like they. So that is found in Luke uh, chapter 13. Uh, in 3, 4, 5, it's in that area, Luke 13, 3. And so that's, you know, some of Jesus' words about repentance and things that were going on that people were coming, asking about repentance. And so if we look a little further and we look at the apostles and their preaching on repentance, um, let's start, I guess, with uh, Peter when he started his ministry. And he started that ministry on the day of Pentecost. And uh, Peter said unto them, Repent. And be ye baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remissions of sins, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's Acts 2.38. And so further, there's another one about the same time. This is, I think, his second speech. And uh, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be, may not, uh, may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come. From the presence of the Lord, meaning God can forgive you if you turn around, you change your heart, you change your mind. And so, again, the message that John the Baptist, the message Jesus, the message Peter is giving at the very, very beginning of the Christian, uh, of the church, is repent, repent, repent. And so, the last one here, at least for Peter, well, I actually have others, uh, repent ye therefore that thy uh, wickedness, sorry, repent therefore of thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps uh, the thoughts of thine heart may be forgiven thee. So it's not always even actions. You did this, but you thought this. You know, oftentimes I guess if we don't give God the proper respect in our lives and the glory in our lives and it's a thought process, you don't get up, you don't, Thank God for this morning, this breath, this life, um, that even a simple thing is failing to give God recognition. This is a sinful act, and that's what he was saying. It's just, you know, pray that God would forgive your lack of thought uh, about him. And so, so that's uh, Acts 8.22. And, of course, you remember the story in the Bible where Peter uh, sees a vision of the sheep coming down and all, there's unclean animals of various kinds in that, and it's let down like three times, and God says, eat. And Peter says, no, no, no. I'm not going to eat anything all my life. I have not eaten anything that was common or unclean. And, and so God sends it down the fourth time or something, and God says, don't call anything that I have said is not is, is common or uncommon don't call what God's saying is clean don't call that dirty you know and so Peter says from that oh okay and he gets the understanding that at that time it was all about the ministry going to the Jewish community 
and it should have been, but also Gentiles were starting to come. Gentiles was coming into the faith and sharing and, and receiving the Holy Spirit. And he said, so Peter understood that God says, it's not about the Jews only, but it's about everybody. So don't call the uh, Gentile unclean. Don't say that he's not worthy because God says he is worthy. So he wanted Peter to understand that and not call uh, the Gentiles unclean. And so, um, and so what it says in Scripture is, when they'd heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. And that's Acts eleven eighteen. And so, uh, speaking of uh, epiphanies or whatever, uh, is a break from the scripture a little bit here, but two Australian, two Aussies, you know, went to uh, the UK and they were going to see the, the Wimbledon tennis tournament. They hadn't been to the UK before. So these guys go uh, out on the town that night. And so they had gone to this pub and that pub and it kind of got pretty late at night. And so they came out of, of one of the pubs and they were going to go home and one guy looked this way and the other guy looked this way. They said, hey, where are we? They didn't realize where they were. And so just about that same time, there was a, a naval officer walking down the street, proper stride, had on his nice clothes and all his medals, you know. And they said, well, let's, let's get this guy and ask him. So they go up to this guy and they say, uh, um, hey, you got, you, where are we? Where are we? And he kind of pointed to those medals. And he said, do you know who you're talking to? And the second Ozzy said, oh, no, we're in big trouble now. We don't know where he are, we are, and he doesn't know who he is. <laughs> so, man, they were really lost. And so, uh, you know, the, the lights go on sometimes. Anyway, so let's see, moving on. The disciples, the 12 disciples God uh, sent out, and he said, take no bag, take no bread, take no coppers, and the people should receive you. And he gave instruction if they didn't receive him, what was to do. But anyway, they went out and they preached that all men should repent. So Jesus, when he was alive, when he was with the disciples, go out, preach repentance. And so that was the message then. That's Mark 6, 12. And Paul's ministry and the times of ignorance that God winked at, uh, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, Acts uh, 17.30. So now Paul's speaking the message of repentance. Change your heart, change your mind. Get right with God. What you're thinking and what you're living is not necessarily right, you know. So, repentance once again. For now you know how that afterwards when they would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. This is Hebrews 12, 17. And of course, it's speaking of uh, Esau. And uh, so Esau, um, you know, sold the birthright. And for that, God says, you know, and the birthright was a critical, important thing. It was a spiritual, as much spiritual it as it was a kind of an earthly bond between 
uh, father and son and what happens on rules and regulations there. It, it was a spiritual thing. And so Esau said, you know, God, I, I don't need it. I don't want it, so to speak. And so because he gave up that birthright, he later felt like, oh, that was important. Maybe I shouldn't have done it. And he sought repentance. But the Bible says he couldn't find it. He sought it carefully with tears, and he could not find repentance. Hebrews 12, 17. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So there is a dance between your heart and your mind and God's love and God's reaching out to you and how that exactly works. I don't have the knowledge to understand it, but God loves you. God is going to appeal to you. God is wanting to woo you, draw you. And here, sometimes, uh, maybe that doesn't happen. It didn't happen with Esau. He wanted to repent. So that reminds me of, a, a, you know, I know everybody's had various ministers in their life and their teachings or whatever that strike you and you remember certain things that they say. And so there was a guy in my life early on. Uh, his name is Adrian Rogers. You might remember him, have heard of him. So he had this uh, message in one of his uh, sermons. And I thought, that, that's worthy of remembering. So I'll share it with you. And it, it's regarding the same thing where Esau uh, sought repentance and couldn't find it. And the, and the saying goes like this. There is a time, and I know not where or when, there is a place, but I, I know not where, which marks the destiny of every man to heaven or despair. There is a line by us not seen, which crosses every path. It is the hidden boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. And so where that line is, I don't know. You don't know. But it's important that we strive to study to make sure we don't cross that path. Now, Esau, apparently he did, because he wanted to repent, or tried to repent carefully with tears, and God did not grant repentance to him. So, it's just beware that God will not always strive with man. The Bible says that in numerous places. I didn't have all the references here, but you've heard it, you know it, it's true, it's in here. Look it up, find it, but God will not always strive with us. And even under repentance, God will not always strive. His, you know, he, God has said, you know, he has long suffering, is what the Bible says. He wants you to come. He woos you. He tries everything in the book because he doesn't want any to perish. But some will not have it. They just simply will not have it. And so I would pray that there was nobody in here that would not have what God has for them. He's paid the price. There it is. It's yours. Some people say, no, don't need it. Don't want it. That's quite sad. So going a little further in, into the issue of repentance, even our ministry today, the Great Commission, Jesus said then to them, thus it was written and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached uh, in his name among all nations, 
beginning at Jerusalem. So our message, what we should say, what we should do, is about repentance. And repentance has to be handled with the utmost of love and care. Because, you know, you can't go to somebody, you dirty, rotten, no good, you're doing this and doing that and the other. And they'll shut you off like a heartbeat. You know, no, it's like, oh, my brother, I see you're suffering here. You know, I may not have all the answers, but this answer I do have. You know, and you share as best you can. Touch that life. Lead, guide, share the word of God. You know, spend time. You know, I've often heard that, um, you know, people won't change their, their heart and their mind unless you kind of bridge build. You become a friend, someone they can trust and, and rely on a bit. And so that, that uh, having some form of relationship is helpful, and sometimes it takes a while for people to, um, to, to turn from the things they're doing to understand, really, what you're saying to them. And so that is found, uh, the, our Great Commission is several places, but it's, this particular reference was Luke 24, 46 through 47. And then uh, finally, Christ addresses us and the church. And this is done as far late in the scriptures as, as Revelation. Um, Revelation 2, 5 says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of its place. Repent thou except they all repent sorry um and it's also done uh this that was to one church and at a different church at a different time uh it also says repent or else i will come unto thee quickly and i will fight against them with the sword of my mouth and so again he's encouraging the church this is us this is now repent and uh you know you hear uh a lot of people say, well, the church not what it used to be. Well, times are getting harder and harder. More, more wickedness is all around us. And therefore, we tend to stumble a little bit. And that's why we need to draw close to this and repent and say what, you know, live and do what this thing says. Because if we come and we don't live this and we don't have any fruits to show this is real, is it real to you? Are we really living by this? So um, it's critical. It was always the mission. It was always the message, and it still is. So I want to close with uh, this thought. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but there's a, a bird. It's called a Manx shearwater bird. And this bird lives, um, well, he's not a big bird, and he's kind of got a little bit of long wings, and he lives in the coastal region. And specifically, he lives um, in near the Isle of Man and also in the Western Isles of Scotland. And this particular bird is a little bit unique, but he makes his home into the hillside. So he burrows a hole in the ground and he makes a little nest in there. And so he's right up off the ocean so he can fly out, get some food, fly back to his home. And so the scientists have been studying this bird, and so they, they went out, and while it's in the nest, and it's made a home, and it knows where his little home is, he flies out and flies back to the nest, preparing for 
the next generation or whatever to go up and capture the bird. And, they, and, and exactly why they started this, I'm not 100% sure, but this bird was very unique, I guess, in nature. And they were thinking, let's just take this bird and let's take it to America and let's, you know, uh, see if we release it in America, if it can fly all the way back to that nest in the side of a hill at this particular island, at this particular place. And of course, they tagged the bird. They knew exactly which bird it was. And so they released the bird. And so I would think if it was me and somebody snatched me out of my bed in the middle of the night <laughs> and took me 3,000 miles away, and you don't know if they went north or south or east or west. You don't know where you were, and they, they dumped you out, and you didn't have a map. You know, where's my home, and how do I get back to it? Well, it's this way. No, no, really, it's that way. You'd be totally lost. You wouldn't know a clue. And yet, this bird, when they release it, flies 3,000 miles back to its home and goes right into the nest where it was taken from. And it takes about two weeks later, but this clearly is a demonstration of God's protection, God's um, inborn natural instinct for some animals to, to do this. This is part of their nature or whatever. And you know that ducks fly from the north to the south, you know, at wintertime, and the butterfly goes from the U.S., the monarch, and goes, flies down to South America, gets in the forest, and millions of those things there. And then they fly back, a little butterfly travels a huge distance. So these are God's um, miraculous things that he puts instinct in their lives. And for me and for you, we don't have natural instinct like that. What God's given us is the Holy Spirit, and we have him. And he should be able to help us, lead us, guide us. And he does. All we need to do is turn to him. And so... Um, you know, it kind of reminds me of, of kind of like the prodigal son. We all know the story. Took the good, took off, got in a foreign place, blew all the stuff. He's sitting there dealing with the pigs and the swine. And all of a sudden, boom, the lights go on. I remember my father. I remember my home. I can go home and all these benefits that are there at home, you know, are, are not you know, here, and so it'd be best for me to return home. Just like the little bird flies home, prodigal son returned home. So I would say to us, inclusive of me, is that are we following God's word like we should? Do we need to return home? I think there's a, a time for us to do that. We've just come through revival. I say God wants us to be revived every single day. So, my brothers and sisters, this is the way. This is the guide. Open it, read it, open your hearts. Say, God, show me the way. The Holy Spirit got to lead us. Otherwise, we're, we're following our own will in our way. So, that's what God asked me to deliver to you guys today. So, Pastor.